Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are joined by Amanda. Amanda, welcome back. Oh, thank you. It has been 20 episodes since you were here. You were last on episode three. We were talking about Star Wars then, right? The Disaster Artist. The yeah. Disaster Artist. We, we did talk about but Star Wars, But we did Wars, a little though. bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was yeah. a little bit of Star Wars talk. And we're talking about Star Wars today in Ron Howard's, Phil Lord's, and Chris Miller's Solo, A Star Wars Story, and Netflix's new Martin Freeman helm family zombie movie cargo but first the news uh our first story today jake gyllenhaal is in talks to star in spider-man homecoming sequel andy you put this in the news uh, wh- what do you got here okay so he's gonna be playing the villain mysterio who is uh, kind of a classic marvel villain yeah um he i think he started out as a mu- not musician magician um and he kind of fights his foes using illusions and tricks and I think in later versions it's like mind mind control or that kind of uh, illusion hmm. I think Mysterio's certainly got potential to be really interesting on screen for fight against Spider-Man why not right so yeah zipping all over the place and like cool effects you can look at a movie like now you see me to see how like magic in movies obviously entertains people um, but I'm curious to see how he might integrate into the universe I, th- I feel like he's kind of straight away from superhero movies he hasn't really dipped into them yet yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, kind of his take on the role. Um, one of the things I can kind of envision is, you know, you have this this idea of who do you trust because, you know, you can't trust what you're seeing or you're, or what's in front of you, that kind of thing. And I know Gyllenhaal can get dark from something like Nightcrawler, but, like, I don't know if that would fit in the Marvel, well, 20th Century Fox dark. Marvel That's Sony universe. Yeah, so I don't know where exactly he'd go with it, but I'd certainly be interested to see what he could do. As far as Mysterio is concerned, isn't Mysterio the one that wears the big dome on his head? Uh, yes. Gyllenhaal's a looker. What's that about? Like, <laughs> how's that going to work? He feels a little Doctor Strange. A little bit. Yeah, I, I've, that's what I was thinking is that it could get into that kind of same realm. Yeah. I know I know. he had talked about being Batman, and we talked about that before on the show. So hopefully he gets involved. He seems like an actor that would fit in the Marvel Universe. I just don't really know where. The, 20, the Sony Marvel Universe, kind of, in collaboration with Marvel comics the other story we have for this week uh we have two more i'm sorry six underground netflix announces the biggest movie yet starring ryan reynolds directed by michael bay this is a 150 million dollar film netflix is signing on to their biggest so far um a michael bay picture by netflix what do you think well the the previous film that they spent the most money on was bright which wasn't very good but everyone kind of watched um that was the will smith um fantasy action thing um and that that was okay uh i mean it shows that netflix isn't afraid to kind of flex their their dollar and you know pour a ton of money into a project um so we'll see i mean michael bay that's not real exciting but you kind of know what kind of movie you're gonna get i guess right this is 60 million more than that 90 million dollar film and that's not quite double but it's certainly over 150 percent i mean that's that's a big jump Clearly, Netflix is getting invested in this stuff. And I'm curious to see what exactly they're going to do. I know Six Underground is supposed to revolve around six billionaires who fake their own deaths and form an elite team to take down bad guys. It certainly sounds like a $150 million film. It sounds so stupid. It sounds so stupid, Amanda. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the worst. So it sounds I, like a horrible movie. It sounds like a horrible movie. Um, why are you wasting your time doing that? <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll be some kind of cool postmodern spin on superhero films. I, I don't I know. I admire your optimism. Thank you. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be checking <laughs> it out on this show. The last story we have, uh, Star Wars's Boba Fett movie is in the works with James Mangold. For anybody who doesn't know, Andy, I'm going to put you on the spot. What has James Mangold done previously? Um, I can't remember his full filmography, All but right, he most well. recently did uh, Logan. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, was a great movie, very successful, and also nominated for an Oscar for Adapted for Greenplay. Um, so he definitely knows how to handle kind of these heroes, these big franchises. Um, and that's a very dark film. So I, I am really looking forward to see what he could do with this, you know, space bounty hunter crusade. Yeah, Logan was fantastic. And I'm not sure what exactly he could take it the, take it in in regards to direction. But I know previously, as far as expanding Boba Fett, um, EA, Electronic Arts, have been working on a Star Wars 1313 game, which is supposed to be like a Boba Fett origin kind of thing. Uh I don't know if it'll draw things that, from that. Or that got canceled. That got canned, yeah. Um, but maybe they'll use some of it. I don't know. That never really came out. Um, but I'm interested to see what it might turn into. And, and I'm I'm intrigued to see what exactly they do with Star Wars spinoff stories. Um, 
because we're about to talk about Solo, and that's we certainly have opinions on that. But um, for oh. what it's worth, I, what? Sorry. No, sorry. I was going to say, Amanda, what, uh, do you have thoughts on the Boba Fett movie? Yeah. I mean, I don't know, guy, what you guys are talking about because his backstory has already been established in the phenomenal prequel trilogy, right. where <laughs> we have seen how he grew up and all that kind of jazz. Mm. So I feel like we don't need a, a dark, gritty reboot. We have that very dark, gritty like prequel trilogy to look back on. And He's barely in it. Yeah. <laughs> Listeners not joining us in studio can see how enamored Amanda is by the prequel trilogy. Um, I love the prequels. <laughs> I am not being... I actually really love no the No sarcasm. Prequels. No, hey, there's nothing wrong no. with that. Everybody, everybody um, different strokes, um, different folks. Sure. I'm a constant connoisseur of our prequel memes. Because Gosh, we should have... It's a true man of culture. We should have Amanda and my, my beau Christine come on and defend the prequels and you can just see <laughs> me like go actively through break up on a podcast it'll be incredible because <laughs> she loves them and i'm like man we've had fights over it now not, not that they're bad but like i mean there's a time strong no, disagreement no, no, no. yeah I, strong disagreement exactly we've gone back and forth a little bit but it's fine um we probably just shouldn't beat around the bush anymore we should jump right into it uh i am taking the the, the summary for solo right Yes, yes, indeed. All right, and you'll be handling cargo. Yes, uh, our first film of the podcast, Solo, a Star Wars story. What do you think? Well, what do you know? So Solo is the story of just that, Han Solo, and his rise as from a kind of a street rat on Corellia to being the roguish pilot we know and love. Uh, his journey from... Kind of just trying to get off planet uh, with his with his cool girlfriend played by Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones as Daenerys Targaryen. She plays a character called Kira yep. with a K. So I want to always with a Q. 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 I Sorry. Capital R A. Yes, Q I Capital R A. Uh, their journey to kind of get out and 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 be free, and for him to become a pilot, to him being this kind of loner plus one with Chewbacca. And that's kind of the story. Uh, Solo kind of covers a, a host of planets and, and, and set pieces as Han tries to navigate the rocky world of smuggling and underground adventures in the galaxy. They dip in and out of uh, the Empire. And they touch on the Rebellion. Andy, what did you think of Solo, A Star Wars Story? Okay, so I was really middle of the road with this movie. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of good things about it, a lot of fun um, it's very entertaining. I had a good time. I did enjoy seeing it, but at the same time, there I feel like it has a lot of flaws. There are a lot of criticisms to make, but overall, um, I enjoyed it. Um, if I can start with the the things I liked, sure. Um, there's a lot of great action. It's very funny. I laughed a lot uh, during the movie. Um, there's lots of new characters, all of which I I liked. I liked every new people, new person that uh, we saw on screen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of it for, for the positive. Um, but like I said, I did, did enjoy it. As far as the things that um, are troublesome, um, I'll, I'll start with the characters. As much as I like the new characters, there's actually too many of them. Like there's so many new faces that you get the Avengers problem where um, they can't all get enough screen time. Mm. And so a lot of people, I mean, people that are on the posters, like the promotional posters, you know, just aren't in the movie very long, Yeah, uh, which was a little disappointing. Um, the pacing is kind of all over the p- place, especially at the beginning. I feel the first third of the movie is the weakest, and it kind of it gets better and stronger and kind of finds its stride the mm. longer it goes. Yeah. At the beginning, so much stuff happens, and you kind of jump around from place and setting. Like, you don't really get an, a chance to establish, like, the characters and their relationships. Um, and th- there's a lot more, but I want to go ahead and move on to uh, Amanda. Yeah, Amanda, what did you think of Solo? I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I went in with like no expectations. I remember seeing the trailer and thinking that I was going to hate it and not see it or anything like that. It was difficult to imagine someone filling in Harrison Ford's shoes in any way. And I think that's a lot of people's reservation with seeing it because everybody just associates Han Solo with Harrison Ford and it's hard to break that. But I was pleasantly surprised with um, Alden's performance, you know, I felt that he had mannerisms down and phrases and certain things like that and even movements down. Yeah, okay. I was more impressed with that than I thought I would be. So I didn't think that was too terrible. I want to make sure we get to all of these these concerns. We've got character, (laughs) plot, setting, 
time, like how long it runs, acting. There's a lot we got to dig into. Um, but before we get into it, what I thought, I thought this movie, kind of like Deadpool 2, but in a different way, had problems. Throughout the, as I was watching, I kept thinking, I didn't like this. This doesn't really work. That felt awkward. But somehow by the end of the movie, I was enamored. By the time I hit credits, I was like, I had a good time. I would probably pay to go see it again. So for what it's worth, I enjoyed Solo A Star Wars Story. And I want to talk about the issues I had and how it seemed to redeem itself um, over the course of the runtime. What's the best place to start here? We got, we got a lot we want to get, we want to get into. Um, why don't we start with plot? Let's start with plot. Yes. Um, over the course of the movie, like I failed to explain in the summary at the beginning of this conversation... Uh, we jump around to a handful of planets, all right? We go to, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but we start on Corellia. Um, we end up in really just a handful of others. I don't think you really visit any that have other, there have been in any of the Star Wars movies. Similar to, um, kind of like Force Awakens. You don't really go to anywhere familiar. Yeah. They're all new. Back to yeah. ja Jakku. Right. Yeah. Do you, you know, they don't go to Jakku. No, no. they don't. No. Yeah. Got it. Uh, so, for what it's worth, as far as like, world building and setting is concerned for each planet or each kind of um, cluster in the nebula or whatever they visit um, in space. I really enjoyed settings. I didn't feel like anything felt too out of place. In fact, at the beginning in Corellia, I liked it because they did a little bit of explaining as to where um, ships come from, specifically the Millennium Falcon because there's a Corellian cruiser. Um, but I didn't, I, I knew that, I guess, but I'd never connected those dots. So it was nice to actually see Corellia and have that place in my head. Okay, now I can imagine where that came from, how that came about, that makes sense. And I kind of enjoyed the um, buildup of setting. And, and I also liked the way they really, honestly, ham-fistedly referenced a, a very simple Star Wars plot, uh, well, throwaway line in the, the Kessel Run 12 parsecs bit from New Hope. Um, for what it's worth, like I, I liked where it went. That's that's where kind of the third act of the film plays out. It was good stuff. It worked, I guess. <laughs> One thing I, I I struggled with it was it was so and I don't, this is cinematography, but it was so dark. It was very dark. The, like at least the the first act of the film, I felt like the whole movie in general, like, it was so dark. It was like somebody had a had a really dark filter over the lens all the time. It was hard to see. I couldn't see people's faces. I was like, what is going on here? Christine didn't feel that way. She felt like it was fine. I'm like, no, I, I, don't, I don't know if you were looking for it. It's just something I happened to notice super very dim. quickly. It's very dim movie. And I didn't know if they were trying to hide something. I didn't notice that at all. Or what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I didn't know if it, like, it was just dark all the time. Have like, you it, had your eyes checked lately? Well, that's what she said. She was like, I, um, that was <laughs> the first time it. I'll drop it. That's what she said on the show. Uh, she, she was like, well, maybe it was just a dark theater. It was hard to see. I'm like, I mean, maybe, but like, it seemed like a really. It, it was like, you know, DC Universe. A little dim. bit, yeah. It was just, it was just a dim movie. But that's that's my piece. What did you think? Um. Well, again, uh, off that, one of the things I wanted to touch on is all the kind of shoehorned references to the original trilogy. Yeah. To me, they just kind of stick out like a, th a sore thumb, <laughs> and then they, I just kind of rolled my eyes. Because it's like, oh, this is how Han Solo got his blaster and his name and his haircut and his boot and his jacket. Well, they I had mean, to explain like, that, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, some things need well, to be explained otherwise. Well, the, what right. I want to point of what I want to know in an origin story is like, how did that character become that character? To me, that's what's important, not like the the little minutia details. Right. And there's so many of them, and they they're just I just rolled my eyes every time they came up. Amanda, your cynicism disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I had fun with it, and yeah. you know, I think a lot of people enjoy those things in Star Wars. They're like, "Oh, that's where that happened," or things like that. You know, I definitely had a few people cheer in our audience when it was like Han Solo, and everybody was like, "Yay!" Yeah, it's it. It was a little. It's a little ham-fisted sometimes. But I mean, so is Star Wars. Star Wars right. is super corny. Right. The ones that really got me weren't like. The solo references where it's like, oh, that's where he gets his blaster belt from or that's where he gets the blaster from. It was the other throwaways to other things in Star Wars. Like at one point, Tandy Newton's character references a bounty hunter and she's like, we could have hired this guy or Bosk. And I was like, oh, God, like you're allowed to throw a Bosk in there for no reason at all. Like that, that was the stuff that took me out of it. And yeah. on, on top of that, this thing they started doing in Star Wars where they throw like they, they throw just throwaway parts to like cameos. And they'll cast actors that I've seen in other movies that I'm like, why Why is that person in here? Like, they didn't need to be in this movie. Like, they have a, a droid handler at one point in this movie played by 
one of the guys who was a redneck in Adam Sandler's The Waterboy and a handful of other Happy Gilmore productions. Right. Um, and I, I was just like, what is it? Why? Like, why Why does that guy need to be in here? Like, you could have gotten any... He just wanted a job, maybe. Right, but that's what I mean. I didn't like, recognize that person. Well, so. no, but... And I think most people aren't going to recognize that person. I think he's got a very distinct face. <laughs> like if you knew him, you'd, you'd have noticed him. No, I mean, it's not Steve Buscemi. Right, but it was a small-time part. It was a few lines. Like, they could have given that to any up-and-coming actor. You didn't need to, you need to give it to some guy who's maybe got an that IMDb. that guy's, like, old and... You know, but he's, he's got, got like twenty movies on his IMDb page. Yeah, but he still like, needs to make rent. I I, I <laughs> suppose so. I, I can't imagine he got paid much for that. I think it was just like, hey, I really want to be in a cool Star Wars movie, and my buddy's uh, a, a gaffer on it or something, and like he's got me in, in with the with a casting director. But I mean, I would do that too. So. I would do it too. I, I just it, it's a little much. Like the references and and, and the, the 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 cameos, like. It feels yeah, like I, a lot to I me. really want these movies, to, especially the spinoffs, to really stand on their own a little bit more. Yeah. Like, if you didn't have the original trilogy to reference, like, how would you make the movie and just let it be more independent? That, that's what I liked about The Last Jedi. I feel like it's not relying so much on nostalgia and, hey, everyone, this is a reference to the older movies. Let's talk about characters, all right? Because we talked about Alden Ehrenreich playing Han Solo, and I want to dig into the acting a little bit, but as far as the characters are concerned, you're right. They did introduce a lot of characters. They did. Um, they did a good job of kind of setting up this, like, bounty hunter smuggler underworld a little bit, and I enjoyed that. In a couple places, I liked the way they introduced a character, but then later they'd kind of pull the curtain back on him, and I'd, I'd think to myself, okay, well, that's not actually that cool. Or, or they'd develop him one way, and then they would just kind of flip him in another scene, and it just kept, felt a little disjointed. Yeah, there, it, was a, there was a lot of that, like, oh, I knew you were going to do that, so I did this. And I knew that you knew <laughs> I was going to do that, so I did this. There's a few double, there's a few double crosses in this movie, sure. But that's, that's very Han Solo, right? That, sure. that fits his character. Amanda, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I had no issue with that. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it because I felt like the double and triple crossings, like, they they kept it fresh. Because when you go into a movie like Solo, you know where certain characters are going to end up. You know, Han Solo is going to be a thing. The Millennium Falcon is going to be a thing. Leonard Calrissian is going to be a thing. So they, have, they have to introduce new characters to kind of keep it fresh. But in order to keep the plot in a place where you feel like you don't know where things are going, they have to do stuff like that. They have to, you know... S- divert you and give you whiplash a little bit and say oh no it wasn't what you thought now it's going to be this way because everybody going into it already has expectations so you got to keep it new I, I and i think the new characters kind of help do that but in a couple places like i hate to say a couple of them felt like throwaways but they did and then they turned out to be and that bummed yeah. me out yeah. <laughs> yeah like i mean it's just kind of the way it is you're like well these people aren't in the main series i wonder if they make it to the end of this movie and then you find out maybe a couple don't and that that is a bummer, but for what it's worth, like it's not that their performances were bad; they were great. The yeah. like I think all of the new characters they introduced were really good. I saw an R movies post about Woody Harrelson appreciation, which is a surprise <laughs> over there. But Rampart, he was, he was pretty <laughs> Rampart. He was pretty good in this movie. I thought. Would you yeah, know? I mean, he was. I mean, he kind of has developed his own character where he does this like you know slow talking Southern drawl and kind of you know. And that's that's what he brings to this, and that's what you expect when you see names like him, Amelia Clark, Paul Bettany, Donald Glover. Like you expect certain personalities to show up, and that's exactly what we get, and it's a real treat. Like Paul Bettany is like scene stealing. No, he's in so his, fantastic. He's good. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even realize he was in this, and yeah. then I was Aww. like, oh hey, I was like, yeah. you're in here. It kills me he doesn't get more work. That poor guy. Hopefully, he will he after gets this. Work yeah, here and there. He sure. Just, I mean, he was Vision. Right. So, well, I leading mean, up to Vision, he didn't have like anything going on. I mean, he's been in things. He yeah. was in. You know. Angels and demons. Yeah, he's been working with. No, Ron, he's in Ron Howard. That's he was like in Da Vinci Code, yeah. and he was in. Uh, he was in Knight's Tale. A he long was time brilliant ago. in a Knight's Tale. <laughs> All right, I love him. Paul love Bettany him. appreciation. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I liked. Um, I liked Amelia Clark's performances. I, I loved Paul Bettany. In fact, I. I kind of wish they had played him out a little bit more because he's very menacing. Um, and I wish they had developed that a little bit. The first time you see him, he's. Uh, just committed some nefarious acts and then he's introduced to our characters very quickly and he comes off as this very suave like nice guy and you know he's not because you just saw him do something that wasn't that great um but then he immediately flips over and is evil again and i wish yeah. they had played that out a little bit more they draw out that like villainy you know i think paul bettany's really good at that stuff and i wish i'd seen that i also struggled with a little bit with donald glover's accent because there were certain uh, yeah, lines, he kind of did a Billy D. Williams thing, and it's like he kind of didn't need to. Like, no, he, I loved that the very yeah? first one he did. Okay. It was like, 
But then he kind of lost it here and there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's either keep it or don't. Right. He had like this suave kind of thing and like it worked, but anytime he didn't do it, it took me out of it. So I was like, you probably should have just gone one way or the other. See, for some reason, I, I really lo- loved his performance and I like, I thought he was better than Alden Aaron, Aaron Reich. I felt like uh, Alden just took his last name was way too difficult to say. Um, <laughs> He got better the longer the movie went, but I felt like the first third, he was, he's not trying to be Han Solo. He's trying to be Harrison Ford being Han Solo. Right. You know, and then Donald Glover is trying to be Lando, and that's what we get. So I, I was much more convinced by Lando's performance than, I, than uh, the Han Solo personally. There, there is one other thing I wanted to mention um, before I dig into Alden Ehrenreich's performance because I want to talk about it. Um, there's a droid in this movie called <laughs> L337. Yeah. That is not voiced by by Gwendolyn Christie. I thought so, right? But Who is man, it? it's hard to tell. Who is uh, it's it? this woman, Phoebe Waller Bridge. I thought it was yeah. her. I, I mean, I knew it wasn't because it's so close. There's yeah. no way they would have done that. But I right. was still just like, oh. Oh, I thought I thought it might have been after after Last Same. Jedi. I was like, maybe they promised her she yeah, could do three like, movies. You and can they, actually do a couple here. More yeah, do this. Um, no, it it's it's not Gwendolyn Christie, but it's crazy close. <coughs> like if you watch the movie, you'll think. I'll just the same pretend thing. that it is. Phoebe Waller Bridge has done some television. This is kind of one of her first forays into film. Um, really close, but I mean, she's got this. She, she's kind of Lando's co-pilot in the movie, and and <laughs> they have kind of an emotional scene at one point, and like it just kind of felt jilted. I couldn't tell how I was supposed to feel about it, and then it was over, and I was like, that was weird. And I also felt that way in a couple scenes with. Um, Han and Kira, uh, Alden and, and Amelia's characters, um, they would run into each other. And it's like, this just feels kind of odd. Forced. But in a way, I mean, that, works. that plays out for the end of the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, because some things happen towards the end that I'm like, oh, okay, like that, it worked. It, 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 it would have felt clever if it hadn't felt so awkward at first. Um, so I think that helped me kind of come around to it later, but. That's where I felt about kind of character relationships. Alden Ehrenreich, I do want to talk about him. Uh, I felt the same way you did. At first, I was like, this doesn't really feel right. But towards the end, it kind of worked. And I think in the the story of progressing into Han Solo, as long as if by the end you feel like Han Solo, it works. That's the whole Han Solo origin story, right? I mean, that's the thing is that he's developing into that character. So it makes sense if he's not going to be that character at the beginning or if it feels like he's trying too hard because right. he's like 16 when the movie starts. Exactly. So yeah. What 16-year-old isn't yeah. full of <laughs> Yeah, and I don't think yeah, yeah. I don't think totally. that's entirely his fault either. I I felt like the, the like he was directed to be like don't be Han Solo, be Harrison Ford as right. Han Solo. And the event, like, I, like I don't think it's his fault because he was brilliant in Hail Caesar. Right. Oh, he's great in Hail Caesar. I mean, Caesar. I think he was good in this. Yeah. I you didn't like him? No, I mean, he, I liked him by the end of it, but yeah. it when it first started, I was like, it was a little rough at first. Yeah. I I did have this weird moment of like cinematic uh, euphoria, I guess, when there's a scene when uh, Alden's character is trying to romance Amelia Clark's character uh, on the Millennium Falcon and they got this like subtle John Williams score playing in the background and like it didn't remind me of of of, of Han Solo it reminded me of Indiana Jones Harrison Ford sure. in a different part also with John Williams music because he did those as well and that was weird and also really cool because in a way I'm like you didn't remind me of of Han Solo per se but it reminded me of Harrison Ford, and it worked in a, in a way that I wouldn't think it would. So you kind of missed the mark and somehow landed amongst the stars anyway. So <laughs> right. I thought that was cool. Um, so for what it's worth, I, I, I really enjoyed that. I, I do want to talk about um, the shift in directors. This is something you brought up. According to you, how much how much do you th- of this movie do you think, unlike Justice League and Zack Snyder and, and Joss Whedon, how much of this movie was saved from the previous directors? I mean, yeah, I just go through like I read that, that this yeah. was that Ron Howard reshot up to 70 percent of this movie. Right. Because Phil Lord and Chris Miller shot a bit. Yeah. And then, yeah. Like almost. I mean, I think they were almost done. Really? Okay, something. Yeah. Like, I, thought, I thought they were it's like 30% a lot. Done or it's something. a lot. That's wild. For what it's worth. Like I unlike Justice League. I had moments where I felt like maybe this was a different director, but like at the end, it all kind of came together for a cohesive package, so it yeah. worked. Like if if they did have scenes that were interspersed, like with the old and the new, um, 
It wasn't too jarring. Yeah, Ron Howard managed to kind of finesse it in a way that it seemed to kind of work anyway. So I, right. I didn't really have any moments that I felt like, oh, that must have been them, and this was Ron Howard. I was surprised to see Ron Howard got the main credit at the end, and Phil Lord and Chris Miller got executive producers. That was kind of a surprise. I'm, I, honestly, I figured they'd throw them like second unit directors or something. That would seem like right. the natural <laughs> evolution of what to do, but they didn't. Um, as far as Solo being a... No, no, no. There's one other thing I want to talk about. <laughs> the runtime. Oh, it was a lot longer than I thought it, it would be. It was longer than I thought it'd be. It, it didn't bother me. But it didn't me. feel that way. It didn't bother you? It didn't it bother me. It me a little bit. Only because, like, there, there, there felt like a point in this movie where I feel like, okay, it should just about be wrapping up. Yeah, and then it didn't. And it didn't. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that didn't, that didn't necessarily hurt the movie. It just hurt my expectation of it. Right. Because I, kept, like, I figured, okay, here's... Can Here's we, about can, where things I mean, should be wrapping up. Into where you thought it would be wrapped up, or is that too spoilery? No, it's probably I, too. yeah, I don't want to get too far in, in the weeds. But I had a very specific critique I wanted to do, but it's spoilery. Is it too okay? Well, now I want to hear it. We'll talk about it after the show. <laughs> yeah, because like, I, I do want to get into whatever that is. I can say part of the line kind okay. of thing. So at the end, yeah. when the no says rematch, I think it could have cut to black there, and I think it could have could have worked pretty well instead of like that having worked. to see. The after effects yeah, of yeah. that, yeah, which wasn't very long. It was like maybe five minutes, but I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like I needed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, you know what was going to happen. You're like, no, oh, yeah, yeah. There, there were definitely a moment or two where they could have cut to black, and I would have been like, that's fine. That would have worked. Yeah, like because you know, like you, 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 you know where it's going to end up. Just no like what. zooming in on Alden's smirking face. Sure, it's like, yeah, you that would have worked happen. fine. Um, I wanted to touch on one thing that you mentioned with the score. Like, yeah. I, like I said, I felt just kind of very middle of the road uh, with the movie, and the score is no different. It, it has, really? it, yeah. Well, because it. Again, it doesn't really stand on its own. It it has it doesn't try to do too much Star Wars music like it. It's not as heavy as like been there, but like yeah. the seven eight nine uh, will be. But it was so. But it 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 kind of has the Marvel problem where who, it's uh, just not real memorable who either. Who did it? It wasn't John Williams, right? He he did the theme for Han Solo, and then it was some other guy. I don't I know. I thought I there no was idea. like a very straight like when they're on. I don't want. Uh, yeah, there's parts where they pull. Where there's a part where where they're pulling a heist, which is surprising in a Han Solo movie. And there was um like a chorus of children chanting yeah. like in one some of the fight scenes, indistinguishable yeah. ethnic language. And I, I was feel like, bad. I don't recall that. At I was all. like, it really. I was like, what is this? Yeah, that music? was really bizarre. I mean, I didn't. I can't. And I like things like that, I guess. But I was sort of like, what is happening right now? It was yeah. very strange. That is weird. It was the. It was a theme of a specific character. So huh. I noticed that they played it, it again. Music it by John me, Powell. It made me worry. I was like, <laughs> it made me laugh. <laughs> if we get another twenty Star Wars movies, are we not going to get any new music, or is it all going to be the same themes from like nineteen seventy-seven? And you know. Oh man, John. We just Powell. need to keep throwing money at John Williams because he can just come up with new amazing things. John Powell was a composer on Shrek. All right. So <laughs> Relax. He was great. I mean, again, that just plays into my <laughs> thing about like how I want these movies to just stand on their own a little bit more. Yeah, I, I did want to talk about that. And, and before I do, because I just have more to say about it. Uh, the Millennium Falcon, I enjoyed the way they explored that a little bit more. And I liked how in one specific scene towards the end of the second act, like there's a there's an exciting you can see it in the trailer. There's a Millennium Falcon shenanigans in, in, in this kind of maelstrom area of space. I, I like the way the Millennium Falcon plays out as a setting for the characters to interact with each other, especially in times of tension, and also as like an independent character in the bigger setting of space. They have to deal with TIE fighters and things happening, and also inside the ship, they're running around doing things. And like that was really cool to get that kind of yeah. back and forth bounce. And it gives Han Solo a little bit of that leadership. Um, yeah, I really yeah that's that. always fun. That's always been a fun part of Star Wars. Yeah. Like those, I mean, that's why there's like one in every movie. It feels like sure. a Millennium Falcon chase scene thing. Yeah. So yeah, it really worked. I, I do wonder how, I, I do I wonder. I like seeing the evolution of the ship. Will so. they retire the Millennium Falcon in episode nine? Probably. They, they, really no. sh they really should. I, they I should, think they you know probably will. Wreck it, I hope not. Let it cast really fire. Do. No, no, no. I hope <laughs> it, would be, it would be interesting for it to just crash. You could, something like that. Yeah. You could something melt ruined, C3PO down to a bar of gold before you broke the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> but it's fine. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big like. I love it. Yeah, you could you draw. could destroy every lightsaber that's been in a film, and I'd be cool with it. Like, the Millennium Falcon is the thing, man, but. It is what it is. Um, I feel like as long as Chewbacca is alive, it won't. Yeah. He's kind of like taken it over. But if something ever happened to him, then I do think it would be 
more fitting. As a Star Wars story, this is the second one we've <clears throat> seen after Rogue One. Where does this stand? Like, what what does it do to numbers? evolve the medium? No, no, no. Like the as the kind of genre, the anthology film films, is, yeah, like the spinoff kind of from the episodes. What did you think? Well, I mean, it's not the fault of the film, but both of these productions have been very troubled. They've had to do massive reshoots, rewrites, and somehow they've come out with a competent product, which you know can't be said for like Justice League. Um, so that's that's a triumph in itself. Um, I, I think they have lots of room for improvement. And I think something like the Boba Fett movie uh, with James Mangold has a chance to do that. And and there's still, I guess, like the Obi Wan movie. I was like, you don't want the Obi Wan movie <laughs> with you and McGregor? I want the Obi Wan movie. Yeah, me I mean, I think all those are probably going to happen too. But we and and we've talked about this before. Like, we don't want to get to the point where it's serious and we have like the three and a half hour Terrence Malick black and white Obi Wan <laughs> Kenobi. You speak for you know, yourself. In the desert. <laughs> That's what I want. I want a philosophical, existential Obi-Wan Kenobi yeah. movie. I do want to talk about what the, where the Star Wars series could go. But before we get to that, um, I I liked this more than Rage 1. I did. Um, it For a handful of reasons. It just felt more cohesive. I think it had better direction. I, I, I liked the way the script kind of evolved and the character changed. And, and it was exactly like I said last week. And I think the week before. Like I liked that... It took old Star Wars and just gave it a fresh coat of paint. Because if you're not going to do it new, if you're not going to forge a new path, you need to make something old feel new again. And, like, this did that, I felt like. I felt like Rogue One was kind of trying to meet in between. It was like, old time, new people. And this was like, not... This was a little bit of that, but also, like, old characters, new actors. And, like, they, they breathed new life into something I already liked a lot. And and, and they made me appreciate it in a different way. Um, and I, I, I would be interested to see, I think, if they made another solo movie, Solo 2 or whatever, I'd probably go see it, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I, I would yeah, see more. Here. I would yeah, see more Alden Ehrenreich as solo. Like, mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed him. I would see more. One other thing before we move on to our Death of Cinema segment, who was it that said Star Wars stories don't need to have a crawl? Because this one had one. Did uh, it? It had four screens of text explaining what was leading into uh, the movie. Instead of a, yeah. Instead of a crawl, and I, I swear to God. I think they're trying to, to keep that just to the plane. The main, The regular. Yeah. It could have been a crawl. It needed to be a crawl. It, like, tell me why it shouldn't have been a crawl. I don't know. I was glad it wasn't a crawl. Yeah. It could have been. It should have been a crawl. It was four It was four screens of that, like, blue text that a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away shows up. And yeah, it, like, it did the kind of jolt me that it wasn't the Star Wars music. I was like. It might as well have been a crawl. I'm like, you didn't have to do the same music or something, but like, you can't tell me we're not going to put a crawl in front of Star Wars stories and do four screens of text explaining what yeah. what's coming. Like, that's a crawl. See, that would be something different. Is that yeah, if you you do or you only do the a long time ago in a galaxy far away, and then you jump into the movie. That's what Rogue One did. Yeah. It just and it also started in space. This one didn't do that, but I was okay with that. Um, sure. Yeah. yeah, and it felt like nothing that they said needed to be set up anyway. Yeah, it was pretty obvious. Kinda, yeah. I, I they, they, the stuff they they explained at the beginning does come around in the film, but by the time it got there for me, I'd kind of forgotten about it, and like I, I was like, oh yeah, this is a thing. They the important things are in there. You kind of didn't need the text, but I guess I'm glad it was there. It just I've already forgotten been a crawl. what it says. So exactly. Yeah, same. You forgot that there were four screens of it. Exactly. I did. I <laughs> but, thought there were like two. But if it had been a crawl, you'd have remembered that. Either way, I think that. Just about wraps uh, our conversation. Uh, Andy, then Amanda, then myself. Andy, would you recommend Solo, a Star Wars story? Um, I think so. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, um, even if it sounds like it didn't. You know, it's, it, it is a lot of fun. Um, it's entertaining. It's, good. it's the summer movie season. Um, if you're not real big into Star Wars, you're probably going to be a little lost. So in that instance, I might skip it. Amanda? Yeah, I would recommend it. Um I don't know. Well, I don't know if you need to be into Star Wars that much to see it. I feel like it stands enough on its own, like it's its own encapsulated little plot enough. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like it'd be more like if you're a really, really, really big Star Wars fan, don't see it because <laughs> like, is it nothing? Nobody Actually, loves to hate. Nobody yeah. loves to hate Star Wars more than Star Wars fans, and <laughs> people have been like grumping about this and I have seen so. it seems like people have liked uh, Solo more than The Last Jedi that is totally fair but I also like have poked around on Reddit and it's just like you know 
Everybody. It's all over the place. Yeah. They're passionate there. fans. So. They're passionate fans. Yes. Fans, um, I will say in quotations. <laughs> I, I, I really did enjoy Solo. Um, I think it is better than the sum of its parts. It's got conversations that are kind of awkward. It's got some weird editing decisions. The lighting, I honestly, is probably my biggest fault. Like I, I, I struggled with that. It bothered me to no end. Yeah. But a lot of people. Especially if you're not big on like cinematography, you will not notice it at all. Like yep, it will like not change me. your experience at all. Yeah, like and you'll yep. probably you'll be better for it. Yes. It's um, true. Just like this conversation, it's rocky at first, but it comes out okay at the end. <laughs> uh, so yeah, stick through it. I think Solo is is worth the price of admission. I really do, especially if it's on a streaming service, which just like Last Jedi coming to Netflix pretty soon, I'm sure yep. it will be. So um, stay tuned. And check out Solo when you get the chance. Um, our next segment is one we haven't done in a while. I'm excited to dig into because it's also related to Star Wars. This is The Death of Cinema. And we are talking about Star Wars fatigue. Andy, you actually put this on here before <laughs> we talked about it and then I came in today and I said, I've got it. The next Death of Cinema segment, you said Star Wars fatigue. I was like, oh my god, how did you know? <laughs> it was between this and the Mission Impossible Fallout trailer we've all seen a billion times. We'll get to that later. Star Wars fatigue. Andy, please take it away. Okay, so you know, this movie even though we enjoyed it, yeah. it, it has been a, a box office bomb. It only made about $80 million and on a budget of about $250 million. Mm-hmm. Um, So it is not a financial success. And that's raised a lot of questions about whether or not you know people are tired of Star Wars, if, if it's not carrying the kind of heft that it could. Um, I don't think I don't think that I you know just like the MCU and Marvel people people were claiming oh when are we going to get to uh, you know superhero fatigue or people are starting to experience but you know Infinity War just came out probably going to be the biggest movie of all time at this point so if you make great movies people will see them and you you know they make three four Marvel films a year mm-hmm. you make an interesting point um, Star Wars did or Solo did not open particularly well i don't want to say it's a bomb because it's like 80 million is pretty or 85 million is pretty good and then 65 overseas but it costs 225 million to make and it's the first of disney's four movies to make under 150 first weekend so it's almost half of what the other ones have made right that's saying something and like there's a couple reasons that could be that could be because this is the second star wars story and people weren't super enamored with the first one people might just be waiting for the next episode, maybe people feel like I already saw Solo, and old school fans, diehard fans, in quotes, as you said, <laughs> figure I don't need to see this stupid kid playing a character I already love. It could be because they opened on Memorial Day weekend, which Disney has typically set aside for movies that aren't that aren't usually perceived to do as well, like Alice in Wonderland two or Tomorrowland. There's a <laughs> lot of reasons this movie may not have done great. Yeah. But I think Star Wars fatigue is one worth talking about because this is the fourth Disney Star Wars film in four years. Are they laying it on a little thick? No. Why? There's no such thing as Star Wars fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> like those words love this. don't belong together in a sentence. It's yeah. like saying Harry Potter fatigue, which is also not a thing. Uh-huh. So I'm sorry for your incorrect opinion. Well, it's weird. Our last, the last Star Wars movie we got was Last Jedi, and that was what five months ago. Yeah. yeah, December, and then we're not going to get another one till a year and a half. A year and a half, so we've got time to breathe, which is good. But at the same I time, think you mean cry? Exactly. In a weird way, it almost bums me out. It bums me out. I have to wait that long. Definitely, it should. I would have rather they'd done it in December and just yeah. like span I mean, them out. Yeah, I could see it. I make, don't know why they didn't. Yeah, like make make the <laughs> holidays Star Wars, man. Like why not? And and it's weird to me that they launched it in spring. Um, any any theories as to why that is? Um, like you said, it, it was a really troubled production, and I think they knew that they weren't going to get the kind of return um, or the kind of product that they really would have wanted. Yeah. Um, so they just like let's just get this out there, put it on this weekend. We'll just we'll take the hit. I mean, I was I was reading okay. two you know two three months ago that Disney was already writing it off as a loss. Right. Variety had a great article about that. I think we talked about it on the show. It's like Disney already assuming Solo's going to bomb. Um, and that bums me out, especially because it seems to be going that way. I think they wanted to get in front of something that I don't think they needed to. I, I don't. I, it's difficult for me to see why they wouldn't have just bothered waiting till December. 
they they're competing against not only like Deadpool two and, and other summer blockbusters, but they're competing against themselves with Infinity War. Yeah, people went and saw Infinity War. Then two weeks later, you see Deadpool two, and then the next weekend, you're supposed to go see Solo. Like, people aren't gonna go see three movies in a month. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot for one month. That's a big slate compared to something like January when we were like struggling to find something to do on this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think Disney. I mean, maybe they're willing to try something different. You can look at something like Black Panther, which came out in February. Like, clearly they're trying to explore different avenues to put these things out. But as far as Star Wars is concerned, I don't... There's no reason they could have waited till December. Like, I mean, I think, you know, the thing that I that I do like about Marvel is every time I see a trailer for a new movie, it always gets me really amped and really excited. Like, the yeah. first trailer I saw for Infinity War was, like, incredibly epic. More epic than, the, than I found the movie to be. <laughs> but it got me excited. Yeah, I didn't and, even watch the... I didn't even watch the trailer for Solo. I was so enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah, see, and that's I think that's what they need to build. They need to build excitement when they come out with trailers. They need to like wa- really wow you and say like I want to go see that. Sure. Yeah, and, they, and they've seemed to do that with the last two episodes at least. Episode seven, I got well, I mean it was the first Star yeah, Wars in a long time, was... so yeah. But episode eight was the same way. I got super stoked about it, and then Star Wars story like not so much. Um, this one, the first trailer, I struggled with. The second one, though, hooked me, and that, that, that interested yeah. me. And maybe that's just the way the trailer was cut. I don't know. But it's like the whole film has gotten better. Like the trailers got better the longer it went. Like right. the, the actual film, everything. It's well, I mean, if it had so much trouble starting, too many cooks in right. the kitchen, then I mean, maybe maybe there is no reason why, and you'll never figure it out. It's just bad circumstances and an attempt to try something different, and it failed. And what movies would you like to see in the anthology series? Yeah. Um, I don't know because, you know, a lot of things that I knew aren't canon anymore, <laughs> like in the books and things like that. Sure. Um, I mean, I don't really care enough about origin stories. I mean, they're fun and I'll go see them. Sure. Well, but, I mean, there's not a character that I'm like, I want to see that origin story yeah, well that, or I well want to see that expanded. That's part of the issue is, like, they don't all have to be origin stories. They could just be an adventure that we don't know about. Or that well, we well, have then, I mean, there's plenty for, yeah. like, Han Solo and Chewbacca to do. I mean, that's that's one. I mean. Yeah, I'm almost looking forward to, like, Solo 2 and 3 more than yeah. the first more, one. Which Alden Ehrenreich is supposed to be signed on for two more, right? Yeah, yep. I think yeah. hopefully. Um I mean, you know, there are things that I'm interested in. Wicked. Like, what? <laughs> Wicked. What? The Ewok. <laughs> a yes. Star Wars yeah, yeah, story. Yeah. I, loved, I loved. Ewok Adventures. I loved that. Did you see that Warwick Davis was in there? You know yeah. the story. He was. Yes. Oh, yeah, I was yeah, so yeah, Warwick happy. Davis was in there. I was yeah. like, oh, be the new Stanley. Keep an eye out for him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's just in every Star Wars film sure. somewhere. He might have, uh, yeah, he has been I'm so okay. far, right? I'm okay with that. Yeah. He's, he's precious. Um, No, I mean, you know, their thing, like, I mean, I know that we both enjoy Darth Vader comics, so, like, that's interesting. But, I mean, you know, it's yeah, a little Vader movie. Pro- sounds kind of weird. Like, it's hard to... Yeah, the problem with Vader is that, yeah, he had the whole pre- prequel trilogy and arguably the original trilogy And, I mean, the fun well. stuff about him is so dark that it probably wouldn't be in a Star movie Wars anyway like so family friendly enough yeah yeah so i don't i don't know i mean i like seeing the new stuff they come out with like with the the sequel films but i have no expectations for the plot to go in a particular direction right currently slated to come out from disney um what's coming over the horizon i should say for star wars is star wars episode 9 in december 2019 a year and a half away from force awakens director jj abrams an Obi-Wan Kenobi spinoff from the guy who directed Billy Elliot, uh, Stephen Daldry, which, like, on the fence about Billy Elliot, I liked it fine. I don't know how he'll do with Star Wars, but I am excited about an Obi-Wan Kenobi spinoff, which has potential to not be an origin story. Oh, well, yeah, I mean... Personally, I kind of hope they go that way, honestly. Really? Because we already kind of... I mean, if there's any character that had an, o- an origin story in the prequel, He's already kind of got one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you saw... We saw a lot of him. Right. It was the development of Anakin and Obi-Wan, like, you know, from... I mean, right. it, we could go into, like, his childhood and stuff, but I do like the idea of him, like... It doesn't have to just be, like, him meditating on Tatooine. Like, yeah. there's... Some sort of adventure. that he did and, sure. like, him questioning his choice. And I feel like I feel like Ewan McGregor can really play that well. Yeah, yeah. I'll be honest. I just I, – I like Ewan McGregor. I know. I just want him to, want him to be in it. Yeah. And I think That's that, really it. I think I, that Disney will hopefully realize that if it's not him, there's just, like, 
no hope in saving. I mean, he was such Disney a. Star Wars. He's going to be yeah. the perfect age as well. I know, right? Like he's right. the perfect age. Yep. He's like got great acting chops. He, he like there's it. just he, no reason not to. And just, he's, he's expressed yeah. interest in doing it. I know. So. And he just did a movie. It, it's it hasn't come out yet. Just did a movie with Disney called Christopher Robin. I'm yeah. Like just send him over to Lot B. Yeah, just, just have him do it for a few <laughs> weeks. Just have him hop yeah. over there for lunch. And yep. Put him for a green screen or whatever. Like it'll be great. Yeah. I I think he said he would do it. Yeah. He said he's interested. Yeah. That's the only reason I hope it's not an origin story because I'm like, just do do older Obi Wan and yeah. use Hugh McGregor and it'll be great. Yeah, like middle middle aged, existentially angsty. Yeah, and it, yeah you know, I keep making comparisons to the MCU. <clears throat> Most of the movies that are really good are actually the movie after the origin story, like Winter Soldier right. or Thor Ragnarok. Man, James Mangold would have been good for the Ben Kenobi movie. That would be cool. Yeah. Oh man, the guy directed Logan. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, um, right? maybe not as funny as as. The other Ben Kenobi. Anyway, um, a new set of spinoff movies uh, that I think think are episodic from Rian Johnson, right? Yep. That's what they're doing. And, and also, of, yeah. And also the creators of uh, Game of Thrones are also doing a trilogy. Are they really? Of yes. what? Oh, I hadn't heard about that. The Star Wars trilogy. It's going to be separate. What? David Benioff who? and D.B. Wise. Of who? Of what characters? No, new, I mean, new, completely new. new. Oh, yeah. okay. I was like, what? And then I didn't know that. the Boba Fett spinoff from Logan director James Mangold and John Favreau is supposed to be pushing for some kind of series version for Disney's new streaming service. Right. Live action. Uh. Yeah, some kind of live action. So, like, there's a lot coming over the horizon. And and I want to talk about what are what are some solutions here to what Amanda believes is not a problem. <laughs> and that's fair. Uh, yeah, not I didn't know there not. was going to be a, a, t- a TV series. That's a little much. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, yeah, what, what are some potential solutions to help audiences not feel like they're getting tired of Star Wars? So what I've liked the most or looked forward to the most in the new movies are new things, new characters, new situations, not just harping back on nostalgia. So that's what I think they have to do is you know, yes, we can have lightsabers and the Force and Jedi, stuff like that, but let's move away from the Skywalker family or any of those characters from the original trilogy. Just, like, new things. That's that's what we need. I agree. Edgier stories. You need, you need I don't want to say better writing, but, like, you need, you need yeah, fresh coat of paint. You need fresh something, you know, just a new approach. Um, the the danger with that, I think, is, is in... I think is in Disney's fear that that may not turn out as well as it could. And the reason I say that is because of the way Colin Trevorrow was pulled off of episode nine, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were pulled off of solo. Like, it sounds like they want to do that, but then they panic. They see like, test. Yeah. They, I don't know if they see dailies or what, but they see something and they go, Nope, this isn't working. Get a veteran director in here. Like get somebody who can do a blockbuster and we know we'll, we'll come out with something good. And that's, that's, a little concerning. Yeah, like you guys shouldn't be so protective of this great thing you have, but I get why they are. So that's an issue. I think fewer movies is certainly certainly has Not potential to help out. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I agreed though. Like I think I, I think maybe this year and a half gap will help a little bit, but like I don't I don't want to say fewer movies. One a year isn't so bad, but like I, I mean I, Marvel's I proven know. that you can do three One four a, movies yeah. uh, a year. It, they they have to just they have to be good and they have to be well, enjoyable. Marvel gotta, has like you know a cast to be able to focus on like yeah. one or two individual people and it's really not like that in Star Wars. It's like the and that's the, the challenge. Group, the group together. It's not like we're gonna have a Ray movie and then a Kylo Ren movie and then a. Right. I don't know. Who knows? And like, I kept trying <laughs> to think of the tiniest character it was possible. There. BB-8, a Star Wars story. A BB-8 movie, just right. him rolling and just rolling around. So yeah, and I do it's think that way. even with the introduction of new characters, like you said, like they'll still they'll still do crossovers. One character sure. from one will show up over here, and all the audiences will go, "Ooh!" Just like in a Marvel movie, like they'll still. What was it you said earlier? Trailers for the next movie, like that's going to be yeah. a thing. Yeah, they're going to start. They're, they're going to do that. Why wouldn't they? It works in Marvel. They'll do it here. And I think that's a little concerning. And I think, man, Marvel is just, it's a different beast than Star Wars. Like, they're not the same. And as much no, as they try all. to monop- like monopolize on what Marvel has built and try to do it somewhere else, like, I don't, I don't know if they can recreate that magic only because Marvel began in this stew that is this, like, unique cinematic universe approach. Nobody else has been able to do it. I don't even know if Disney can do it with their own property coming <laughs> from their own thing. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't know if they can recreate that. I think avoiding late spring is smart. Like, just stick with December, right? 
or or figure out. I don't know. I don't know if there's a better way to do it, but I feel like keeping them a year apart is smart. Like just make December the month of Star Wars. Yeah, like maybe people can can handle three, four superhero films a, a year, but maybe they can't handle more than one or two Star Wars films a year. Yeah, it's just it was it's such a weird grouping. Let's do the biggest freaking crossover in Marvel history, and then three weeks later. The new Star Wars. Like, the it's most just, disappointing Star Wars. Yeah, like it's just a weird move. No. I liked it. I liked it more than Rogue One, I swear. Like I, mm. I, I really did, but mm. that's harsh. Sorry. It's it's not it's not yeah, it's really not. I was that like, bad. really, we're gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about <laughs> stuff like that when the Phantom Menace is out there, just saying. Like gonna, and then, throw some shade. Right. And then the last <laughs> thing I think and, and and I'm I'm wary of this one. I, I I read this somewhere and figured I'd put it on here. Consider avoiding spinoffs. And that's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, like, I like the episodes. But on the other hand, just like with Last Jedi, like, the episodes can get a little stale. The spinoffs offer, like, a new something that, like, the episodes don't have. Because with the episodes, you kind of know what to expect. It's going to be big and heavy-hitting and blockbuster. Like, the spinoffs have the potential to be this little something that's on their own. Like, like how I like to feel like Solo will be. I like to think Solo will, at some point down the line, I'd be like, man, Solo was cool. It's kind of its own thing. It didn't really, like, you know, yeah. didn't really get in the way. It didn't step on any toes. Um, so I, I don't I don't know if that's the best advice. I think you just have to be careful because then you'll have Solo Two and Solo Three and <laughs> Solo the Revenge. I don't know. <laughs> Which so, I Solo the Revenge. So revenge you know solo. we just you just have to be careful. Like I think I think like maybe two Solo movies would be. I don't know if there needs to be three because yeah. I feel like I feel like we're at a perfect place to like explore what his life is like. You know between the end of that movie and the beginning of A New Hope. Like I feel like we're in a great spot. To just explore that, and we don't need like yeah, and 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 so it's like knowing when to stop, even if you want more money. Yeah, Disney, and that's that's the most difficult thing in Hollywood, right? Like that's the whole thing is is like especially with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, doing as well as it's done. Like you strike while the iron's hot. Like when you got when you're when you're riding a heater, you just keep going. I guess like you, you keep going until you can't anymore, and that's. That's a danger. Like, part of the reason Star Wars has made it as far as it has, and, like, the pantheon of film is because of the incredible pauses between films and between, like, episode right. series. Um, and they are throwing that out the window. And, like, I, I, I'm a little concerned about what that might mean for the future of the series. But regardless, we're going to keep getting Star Wars films, clearly. They're not yeah. going away. And I'm glad because I love them. <laughs> so for what it's worth, um, yeah, I guess about wraps that. And I guess we should move on to our next movie, right? That's right. And that is Cargo. If I don't make it to the hills, you're all I've got. You can't lose hope. Okay, so Cargo is the new zombie slash survival uh, slash family film um, by director Ben Howling and uh, writer Yolanda Ramke. Now, this is based on a 2013 short that was about 10 minutes long. Um, and this is actually premiering or it premiered on Netflix a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the story is in the Australian outback. Uh, Martin Freeman is a family man with his wife and daughter. And they start off there on this kind of riverboat. And there's been some sort of uh, outbreak of, you know, zombie virus. Um, and everyone's just trying to survive. And what kind of this movie does a little bit differently um, for most zombie films where you have like panic and running in the streets and trying to escape, uh, you're in the, you know, the countryside or out in the middle of nowhere. So if zombies come around, you just kind of head in the opposite direction. It's not the same uh, kind of danger. Um, but anyways, so he has to try to survive and he has his infant daughter, um, which makes things very challenging because obviously infants are loud. Um, but also they face things like, you know, needing food and water, not just, you know, escaping the zombies. Um, and I, I debated whether or not to say this, but um, I saw it in, in other reviews. But his uh, the basic premise of the movie is that uh, if you get bit, you have 48 hours before you turn. And they do this great thing where they drop these like uh, health packets and they have a, a band on them that has uh, a timer. So you can um, put it on and know how much time you have before you turn into a zombie. And uh, anyways, Martin Freeman gets bit very early in the film. And so he has to figure out how he's going to bring his daughter to safety before he turns into a zombie. And that's uh, that's the premise of the film. I think it's important to to say that. Yeah, if you if you hadn't, I would have been like, this is going to be a very odd conversation. Because, yeah, they, they very quickly is that known. I, I think that's in the summary. It's definitely in the short film. Like, yeah, that's pretty much the premise. You've got 48 hours to find a place for your very, very young daughter 
to grow up without you. Um, so obviously a very, very bleak premise. Yes. Um, <laughs> and one of the, yeah, one of the things this movie did really well, something, something I enjoyed in it. Um, to be fair, I liked it before I get too far into it. I did. I did enjoy this movie. Um, it, it's, it, 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 what's the best way to say this? It retreads <laughs> old ground, right? Zombie survival. How are you going to make it? The whole world's doomed. What do you do? And it's very bleak in its presentation in that, yes, the main character has 48 hours to live, right? How are you going to make this a- an acceptable movie to watch? Because it sounds like the worst movie to watch ever. Like, it just sounds bleak. I was sitting down to watch it. I was like, God, this is going to be a nightmare to get through. <laughs> and, it, and it does this in a very clever way. The Australian Outback is shot, like, just in this very, like peaceful manner it's very national geographic blue skies always yeah it's it's not like rainy and dark nope it's gorgeous and like it's exactly like you said when they encounter a zombie like it's just as easy as just like oh let's just not go that way and then just go the (laughs) other way like honestly martin freeman smiles in this movie like the daughter is pretty good throughout the whole thing like for what it's worth it's 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 an it's an oddly hopeful movie yeah, yeah like it does not feel like the whole world's doomed it's not it's not like mad max fury road like everything is falling apart it's kind of the opposite it's like life is still going and, and right. they do address it at certain points there there are a couple instances in which it's like things aren't going to get better here but like it doesn't it somehow doesn't seem that bleak oddly enough it's, it's actually kind of bright and nice right i i think i i like that it it took on the zombie genre and just did things a lot different. And a lot of the things that you usually see, like, you know, chase sequences or, you know, daring escapes or all these things you see usually in the, in the city aren't, those don't really come up. It's much more about the relationships between the characters and what they decide to do in very difficult situations. Yeah. And I think one of the things, one of the ways this film was made well is that they clearly didn't have a big budget. And they stretched it anyway. Like, it's a very pretty film, like I said, even though it, it, it's, it's, it's gorgeous in its simplicity. The two directors, Ben Howling and Yolanda Ramke, had been second unit directors in the Daniel Radcliffe film Jungle, which was also low budget. Right. And, like, it shows. They, they know how to stretch a budget. Like, they, it, it's a lot of, like, peaceful, tranquil landscape shots. And it's, it's a lot of it's set outside, natural lighting, but it works. Nothing feels too out of place. Nothing feels too dark or grim. And when it needs to hit hard, it does. Like when it needs to kind of shock or surprise or maybe even scare in certain cases, it works because of that like yin and yang approach, the dark with the light, the good with the bad. Um, but overall, like it's a pretty pleasant film. And I think Martin Freeman was really, really good casting in that way because he's, yeah. I mean, he's Bilbo Baggins. He's like, he's a character you like, like you like Martin Freeman, you know, he's, he's, he's a nice dude in the office, uh, UK. He was, he was Jim. Like he's, he's a, he's a, he's an endearing guy. And as a dad, like he's played really well in a character named Andy. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed his performance. Like it. At first, it felt a little weird, but only because, like, it's clearly trying to do something a little different from the other movies in the genre, other right. zombie survival films, but it's effective. Right. One of the things, that, so there's a lot of, um, well, you were mentioning the dark, yeah. the darker stuff. There are a lot of, of like, horror elements mm-hmm. um, in it. There's a lot of really dark scenes. And uh, one thing I always like to see is how do the, z- the zombie, like, symptoms manifest? And in, in this movie, that you get this thing where you're kind of, you get the shakes and you start kind of oozing this, like you know, yellow colored. Almost looks like honey. Yeah. Kinda, like, yeah. It, like, and it's coming out of your mouth and your eyes and it's really gross, it's but gross. it's, it's really effective. But then the other thing I liked, and I mentioned this uh, before is that they have all these uh, kind of almost like eight relief aid packets that are dropped, you know, by helicopter or, or whatever that, it's like a little zombie pack, and it has the bracelet that tells you how much time you have. Um, it has a little pamphlet of the symptoms. And then it, there's there's some darker stuff where it, it has this kind of thing that's almost like a suicidal EpiPen where it's this you yeah. know giant thing you put to your temple. It's to, like a one-use nail gun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that that was a really nice twist because that, that kind of shows you you know what a government response might actually be to uh, you know to something like this. Yeah. Again, like, I, I loved the way they balanced all this incredibly dark stuff just with, like, somehow, like, a good-feeling, nice film. That's why at the beginning of the episode it said it's like a family zombie 
kind of movie. It's not a comedy, but I was I almost want to say so just because it's so it's so like light in a weird way to offset like how incredibly dark the plot is, and it doesn't feel like too much when it should. And I, I worry that might that might throw people off because like look again looking at the Netflix description, I was like, this looks horrible. Like this does <laughs> not look like something I'm gonna want to watch. But it's well put together for a low budget. I should say like if you're not. If you don't really know the difference between a low budget and big budget movie, like watch this, you'll see. It, you'll you'll understand. Like clearly, they didn't have a lot of money to work yeah. with. Few settings, not a whole lot of actors. Almost That's yeah, big. almost entirely practical effects. Again, shot out out back in Australia. It reminds me of, like the original Mad Max in that way. Yeah, very simple. Um, as far as other performances go, because there are a handful of other people in the movie, I didn't recognize any of them. Martin Freeman is, I think, the one big, relatively yeah, I mean, big they're star. All aus- yeah. Australian actors, I think. Right. And I thought they all did exactly what their jobs needed to do. They they, they they fit. They didn't feel too out of place. In some cases, like in any kind of zombie survival movie, you know, they have different motivations, but they work. Like they didn't, yeah, they didn't, they didn't feel too jilted or weird. It didn't try to take some like bold direction like the road or anything where it's yeah. like, this is this new gritty, like, no, it's just kind of this weird, sweet little low budget movie. It's got this horrible premise. Um, yeah, yeah there, so, and yeah. there's this also... Um, this subplot in, involving uh, the aboriginals uh, in the area. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a clear parallel to, like, a history of abuse of the indig- indigenous people in Australia, which has happened there and, and other places as well. But there, that subplot's very important um, to the film. And, you know, it's great to see some aboriginal actors um, getting work. Yeah, there's this young girl uh, that Martin Freeman runs into called uh, Toomey, which is played by a girl named Simone Landers, who's only been in one other movie called Grace Beside Me, which I haven't seen. Um, really good, though. Fantastic, like, child actor. I mean, she didn't have many lines, and that was kind of the point. Um, she, she was kind of this, I don't want to say PTSD, but jaded little right. girl uh, running around the Australian outback. Um, really good. Yeah, like, didn't didn't feel forced or anything. Didn't didn't try to, like, stretch it. They They... they Clearly, uh, Ben and Yolanda knew what they had to work with, like, and they played their play, played their parts effectively. Like, it 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 worked. Yeah, so, yeah. and I think one of the things that stands out um, to me, and I mentioned this earlier, is just how different families and different people are handling this situation. We we kind of run into different groups of people, and uh, you know, some people are are taking you know the apocalypse better than others, um, and. You know, there's an interesting section where we meet a character who uh, sees nothing but opportunity. You know, he's pre- he's prepping for when things get back to normal. He's like, oh, well, I, w- I want to, like, cultivate or own this day I'm on this land so I can get the the, the natural gas or, or whatever's underneath. And so, you know, that's a very interesting spin. And we meet several other groups of people who are all, like I said, handling it differently. And I liked... Well, I, sh- I, sh- I should kind of dig into this a little bit more. As far as Martin Freeman's performance goes in, in bouncing off these characters, like I said, it's weird to see him smile. And it's weird to see him be... He's not optimistic, but he's not hopeless. That's the difference. Yeah. It's not like everything's ruined and I'm going to fall apart. No, it's it's this odd like, well, I guess I knew this was coming at some point and I have to do something or else we're all doomed. So... I'm just going to try to make it work the best I can in the 48 hours I've gotten. That's that. It is a little weird to see some of the things, some of the choices his character makes. Like at one point he goes to sleep and sleeps for like nine hours. I'm like, well, that sucks. Like that's, (laughs) that's a good chunk off of what you got left, but it makes sense. Like, again, it's like, he's not clearly, this is somebody who has resided to his fate. Like he, he very quickly understands this is what's happening. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to beat this and I'm okay with it. It's somebody who's been living in this world a little while. And it doesn't, the movie doesn't try to explain itself. It doesn't try to say, oh, here's how the zombie outbreak happened. Or here's where it doesn't even really explain the containment packs. You just kind of have to figure it out yeah. and it works. It's effective. It doesn't, it doesn't try to overstep its boundaries. Yeah. It's, it's show don't tell. Exactly. And, and I, in a low budget movie, like that is, that is the best you can do. The more you can do that, the better. Um, and it's effective. I, I, I hate to say I'm talking in circles here, but towards the end, I, I, I did notice it, it kind of, it didn't have a false ending per se, but I thought it was going to wrap up at one point and then it kind of didn't and kept going. But I thought the ending was satisfying for its worth. Like it, it yeah. ends in a way that feels like, okay, you know, that, that feels good. You know, that, that feels right. Um, it's with a, I don't want to say it's a downer ending. I guess it's, it's beauties in the eye kind of situation for me. 
it wasn't quite what I wanted. But again, like with the premise going in, it's gonna be bleak. Like it's yeah. not gonna end in 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 this super bright and flowery, everything's okay kind of way. But at the same time, again, it strikes a balance. It, it it ends in a way that's like I, okay, you know that 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 feels right for what it is. So well, the, like uh, you said, you mentioned the road. And yeah. I, I drew some parallels uh, to that as well. And one of the things about The Road and this movie is, you know, you have the horrors of, of the zombies, but you also just have the horrors of, like, of humans with no, like, police or any kinds of consequences. And, you know, the horrors of mankind are almost as, can be as bad as the horrors of, like, these the zombies. Right. No, I agree. And that was certainly something that this movie tackles, which... For everything that it did right, it did. It, yeah, again, it's got to run into some of those tropes. It's got to run into some of those things. You're like, yeah, of course, man is the most dangerous game of all. Got it. You know, like I and I can understand that, but I like the fresh approach to the zombies. I like that. Yeah, I didn't try to oversaturate the movie with too many characters or people. Um, and there's there's still a surprising few for what it is. Like the road had more people than this movie yeah. does. Yeah, um, it just worked. So, any, any other thoughts before we get to recommendations? No, ready for recommendations. All right, Andy, would you recommend Cargo? I think definitely. It it's a good, you know, scary, kind of deeper zombie film. It's on Netflix, so if you have an, a subscription, it's not going to cost you any extra. Yeah, it, it's exactly that. If this had been in a theater, I would have probably said it's good. If you're bored, go see it. If not, probably wait till it's Netflix. For the price of admission, totally. Now again, it's bleak. Like, and if you're if you're looking for something that's like bright and fun, this won't quite scratch that itch. But if you're a believer in the boldest of bold cinema, <laughs> right. I think it's worth your time. Yeah, why not? You know, take take what is it? An an hour forty, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah, take 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 a hundred and ten minutes or a hundred minutes and, and check it out. And I think if it had had a theatrical release, it would have actually probably had a bigger budget. Yeah, and, probably. And been kind of a little bit bigger. But I, it works so well how it is. And it, we were just talking in Solo about how we need new things and new approaches and new, you know, lots of things. And this is the kind of movie that delivers that. It, we have a new premise with a new setting. I mean, we, we haven't had a zombie movie in the Australian Outback that I know of. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's just it's a fresh take. Yeah, and I'll I'll be interested to see what these directors work on next. I really will because again, any <laughs> I said this about Michael Bay a long time ago. Clearly, he's not doing this with his next Netflix movie. Any director that can take a very small budget and make an interesting story in an engaging setting with characters that are good, that are fun to watch, like it's worth your time. Yeah, like you don't see that every day in movies nowadays. So I think it's yeah. It's worth the trouble. Yeah, and one thing I just remembered, um, you know, we were talking again in Solo about having too much nostalgia or too much like, hey, remember this from the older movies? So there's a scene in Cargo that is, I think, directly an homage to um, the original Night of the Living Dead. I thought you were going to say Shining. I was like, oh, (laughs) no, no, no. no. (laughs) The Shining drop. No, no, no. Yes. Night of the Living Dead. What do you got? Yeah, no, there's a a scene where there's a bunch of zombies crawling through the field, and it's, like I said, very reminiscent, if not, like, shot for shot, like the kind of famous scene from the 1968 Night of the Living Dead. And that is is an example of really good kind of homages to other films. Like, because it's easy to miss if if you're not a huge zombie fan or if it overlook. And... I mean, I think there's a way to do nostalgia and to do references to other films that are practical and more effective and less ham-fisted and less waving at the audience like, hey, guys, we're referencing other stuff. Do you get it? Right. No, you're – oh, man, you're totally right, especially nowadays. Like, it's so easy to just throw in – like I said with the Bosque thing, like it's so easy to just throw in this like – half-baked homage to something. Oh, yeah, remember this from that thing? Like, to be able to just real subtly get you to think about it without saying anything or really doing anything, like, that that says a lot. And again, like, on a, on a budget this small, like, being able to do stuff like that to pull off little tricks, that beautiful shots, it means something. Um, I wish we had more of that in cinema sometimes, so, for what it's worth. Either way, I think that about wraps our show. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about American Animals, which I'm going to be honest, we have not been able to find screening times for yet. I'm a little nervous. So it's a toss-up. We'll see. It'll be fine, though. It'll all work out. And we're also going to be checking out Lady Bird on Amazon Prime, which you have seen. You're right. That's right. I have not seen. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be getting your kind of second take on it. 
my first. Hopefully it turns out as well as Rotten Tomatoes claims it will. Uh, I wanted to give a shout out to Amanda who <laughs> sat in on the show. Amanda, thanks a lot. She's not here. I, she already <laughs> left. I know I should have had her hat say it, but it's fine. If you want to get involved with the show, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Hit us up on the website, offscriptfilmreview.com. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I think we're on. Yes. yes. Uh, so check us out, and thanks for listening to the show. Um, go see the movies we talked about or don't. It's fine. We'll talk about them anyway. Uh, for Offscript, the home... A Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.